All right. Hello, everybody. I'm here today with a guest who has to remain anonymous um, for reasons which will become apparent. Um, but today we are talking about the topic of forced vaccinations, which is not something I've covered before, but it's urgent that we get as many people talking about this as possible. So um, my guest today, would you like to tell us why you're here? Oh, yes. Hi, Nick. Um, uh, I'm presently being taken through the, the courts of protection, um, as are a lot of other families. Um, hence, we can't use my son's uh, proper name and I can't use mine because it has been ongoing for two years now. Um, so... Basically, um, just to give you some background um, of my situation, I'm a, a single mother and um, my son was born um, uh, with a cleft palate. That's the first thing we found when he was born. And uh, the nurse said very often a heart condition comes with a cleft palate. So um, they did all the tests and uh, ran blood tests and found that he had a, a chromosome condition. And um, this is why he had the cleft palate and the heart condition, basically. It was the chromosome condition that uh, caused it. So um, he's, he, when he was one, he had corrective heart surgery and he has never been on medication. He's a very, very well young man. Um, with the chromosome condition, it's caused severe learning difficulties as well. Plus he cannot speak, um, but he is such a happy, very well young man, as I say, and he's now 23, just turned 23. Um, we, <laughs> I always remember when he came out from his heart operation, I kissed him on his forehead and I said, I will always, always protect you. And this is what I'm feeling, uh, you know, I'm doing now at this present time. I'm standing up for my son and um, I'm trying to protect him from what I believe could harm him, basically. I believe he's got to where he is now at a, a, an age of 23, which is, considering his chromosome condition, very, very exceptional. Uh, because of my due care and his father's uh, attention to his health and well-being, and we give him so much love and, and attention, and he just love, lives off love, you know. Um, so uh, throughout the years, you know, I've had support from social services and um, all the, the health, you know, practitioners, his GPs, I've regarded them as my friends. Uh, they know him. They've known him since he was born. Um, the doctors have come to the house when he was a baby. Um, they've been part of his upbringing and, and you know, um, they've become friends. Um, around the time um, when they uh, were offering to uh, have the COVID UK vaccine, yeah, 
the COVID vaccination, um, I became quite concerned, really. Um, first of all, because of the speed it came out, you know. Um, and when you think back, you start thinking, well, I wonder why I thought this. And, and, I, and I believe it's because of past experiences in your life. It has to be, you know. Um, for instance, when my mum was pregnant with me, she was constantly sick and went to the doctors because she was worried about her baby. And he offered her the thalidomide drug and she refused it. Um, she said, oh, no, no, I, you know, I won't even take a paracetamol. So um, her concern was for me as a, the baby, you know, because she was being sick oh, many, many times a day. So she refused the thalidomide drug. And um, that, I think, has always stayed in the back of my mind because it took them five years to, to actually acknowledge and realise what drug was causing the harm to the babies. Um, the, the next thing was, uh, well, my mum was in a care home and, um, the, the situation surrounding that at the time, because she passed away in 2020, not with COVID, but because they actually put it on her death certificate and that upset me. Um, so there was little things happening that started, you know, to worry me. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, at, at the time as well, I felt let down because social services never once contacted me to, to say, oh, you know, how, how's Tom? How are you? How are you getting on? Is everything okay? No contact whatsoever. Not just me, a friend of mine had exactly the same experience with her daughter. Now, you know, we are single mothers at home with, with an adult that we're caring for and not one concern. Um, at that point as well, people were getting deliveries at home if they were vulnerable. And I felt I should have had a shopping assistance because, you know, obviously I have just my son with me. Um, and I kept waiting for that to happen. It was never, never happened. So what should should have happened is the GP should have recognised the vulnerable person as they thought, and then they inform the government. The government inform the supermarkets, and then they, you you know, you can get uh, food deliveries. That never happened either. So as far as the GPs were concerned, he wasn't vulnerable. Um, what I felt I needed that assistance, and again, it wasn't there. You know when I needed it. Um, yeah, so there was lots of little things. Um, another thing I think was I had, um, still, stupidly enough, had Botox <laughs> um, and I had a, a dreadful reaction to it. It uh, laid me up for nearly a year. I actually got um, botulism and my muscles were weak. My, I uh, started off with pins and needles in my face when he injected me, uh, went down into my body and I went deeper and deeper into my nervous system and it was burning. Um, 
uh, was heightened, my senses, my nervous system was heightened, my vision, my hearing. It was horrendous, actually, really horrendous. And my heart rate was racing like crazy, you know. Um, so yeah, that went on for a year. And at the same time, I had to look after my son full time, you know. Um, so again, I think that worried me. Um, it's all very well say people saying which the GPs do um, and the courts do. Oh, it's only a needle. Um, you know, it's this needle's no thicker than if they took bloods. It's not about the, the needle. It's about what's in there. You know, yeah, that's which is ridiculous. Irrelevant absolutely irrelevant and but that's what they 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 put you know um so um yeah so that's a bit about the background of why i was questioning things and um so then comes the time when you know you're being called up um and i counted it was over 20 times that I was contacted in one way or another from the NHS, from the GP, whether it's by text, letter, telephone calls at home. Um, and uh, I also had social services suddenly appear after two or three, you know, after two, two years, because nobody was around. We didn't get any assistance, whether it be any physio or anybody, just it all stopped, you know, obviously. Um, and suddenly social services came um, questioning me. I was a new social worker and I didn't like the way she was questioning me. And I, I was, I thought it quite odd, really, you know. So they suddenly got everyone else, uh, the physio in place, the cardiologist in place, and I had all these appointments rushed. The physio came to my house. Again, I'd never met this guy before. They've never been to my house before. And um, right at the end of the physio um, treatment, he turned around and said, oh, so um, Tom's not had the COVID vaccination. And I said, um, <laughs> well, you know, I've never known a physio ask me that question. Never ever been asked uh, about his, his, you know, his medical, uh, his vaccine status. Basically, I was shocked, and also the social worker had said the same thing. You know, they actually told me, so they knew. Um, and so I said, "Well, why would you ask me that?" He said, "Well, we were asked to ask." So that was that. Um, I went then. I was called up. My son was uh, for a. a check up on his heart and again and now I look back I realized they were just ticking the boxes you know so they eventually the GP contacted me and said oh um can you come in and just explain again why you don't want Tom to have this uh vaccination so I said oh I'll come in I'll come in and speak to you doctor you know so he said, oh, there's no need for that. I said, no, no, I want to, um, because I have spoken to you about this previously and you have been contacted over 20 times. I said, and I need to come and see you face to face and, and, and show you the evidence and things, you know, uh, that I, the research I've done. So I went in and I actually sat with him for an hour and I showed him um, everything that concerned me 
especially regarding my son's heart and heart inflammation, which myocarditis, pericarditis. Um, and you know, <laughs> um, Tom's had all his childhood vaccines. He, uh, I used to queue up every year for the flu vaccine with him and I used to be offered it as his carer. And we used to take those every year. And my GP actually had the audacity, it upsets me actually, to call me an anti-vaxxer. Mm. And at that moment, you know, the respect for him just fell straight to the, to the ground, you know. Uh, I'm not upset because he called me an anti-vaxxer. I'm just upset with... Uh, I don't know. I just find that uh, the GP that you had a lifelong relationship. Yes, yes. I, I, I think, think that's really upsetting as well. It's quite a, insulting, isn't it? You know, your relationship with your GP or with his GP is going to be so much stronger than the average person. That really, really matters to you. So I yes. can see how that would feel like the floor falling out from under you. Yeah, and I just lo lost all respect for him. Um, so I said, oh, you know, I said, how can you, uh, obviously not mentioning his name, but I said, how, how can you say that? You know, we've, you know, he's had all his childhood vaccinations um, and with the flu. And I just couldn't believe that he could say it. Uh, he didn't, didn't explain himself. And he turned around and said to me, I just feel you're in this echo chamber. And uh, you're only listening to one side of the story. Um, you should get out of the echo chamber and start listening to other people. <laughs> like I'd not looked at every option, you know. I think we know uh, that and, at this point. Mm, but that doesn't again, help. no. Again, you know, I just found it quite insulting. Um, so after that meeting, I got a late night, well, I call it late, for a health professional, about eight o'clock in the evening on my private landline, which only my, my family use. <clears throat> and um, it was a doctor who I'd never heard of. Oh, hello, this is Dr. Whoever. Um, I'm just ringing about your son and uh, the vaccination. And I said, oh, I said, uh, sorry, I don't know you. He said, oh, I'm the senior partner of the practice. I said, okay. He said, um, I said, first of all, can I just stop you and say, I'm very, very concerned because this is a novel vaccine um, and uh, et cetera, you know, experimental as far as I'm concerned because it's still in the trial stages, you know. Um, I said, and I've also spoken to the doctor about this for an hour and explained it. I said, and, you know, I'm finding uh, that this is turning into harassment, to be honest. I don't think he liked me saying that. Um, and then within about two weeks after that, I went into my letterbox and got this massive big white envelope and it was packed solid full of court papers um asking me to attend court because uh i was refusing for my son to have this vaccine and that's 
basically where it started, that was the beginning of 21. I had um, 21 days, which is 15 working days, you know, um, to get a, a, a case together. I had to find myself uh, a solicitor and a barrister. Now all this is expense, you know, people could be losing the houses over this. Um, and uh, I rushed off, the solicitor said, you have to come to me, which was uh, nearly two hours away. I had to take my son with me. We stayed in a hotel for three nights. He had to stay in the solicitor's office with me whilst you know we were doing full days trying to get a statement together it was hundreds of pages worth of statements you know with um, reputable links attached um uh and we put forward the case i had a barrister um the first court case was um by zoom i attended by zoom as did my barrister and uh all that was said basically by the GPs was that they're following government guidelines. They hide behind the government guidelines. Um, and that's what the judge, uh, sorry, the cardiologist did also. Let's just it's make not guidelines, not laws, not mandates, but guidelines. Absolutely, they are. And then that's exactly what my barrister said um, in the court guidelines are guidelines you know but um they pretty much say to vaccinate every person that goes through that court they're not taking any risk benefits analysis into account specific to that adult yeah from, now um sorry from where my audience is sitting you do not have to explain why um, a young male who was born with a very, very serious heart condition should be wary of this, based on what we've seen in the world of sport over the last year and a half. Um, that should be obvious. So mm. we, we all understand why you'd be so concerned about this. Yes. Um, thank you, Nick. Um, well, <laughs> the judge uh, doesn't seem to look at any evidence that they, they ignore all the evidence that's out there uh, unless the government are changing their advice um it won't change it won't change no matter how much evidence is out there which i'm two years down the line with this and there's more and more come out you know obviously still not changing still saying the same thing <clears throat> um Sorry, I'm a bit, a bit confused with who's bringing the case against you, because what we've really got to ascertain here is like, well, this is your son, you're the parent, who is claiming to have rights over him? Um, initially, it started, you see, a lot of the um, parents who have been taken to court, um, their children, well, I call them children, they're not, they're adults now, um, are in residential care. And I remember when I went to speak to my solicitor, she said, I'm very shocked that I've got this case because your son lives with you. Um, 
and that's how they justified it you know that they're in residential care and they would have to take the vaccine to protect everyone else um which came out uh at the end of my first court case the in the order uh, the judge said that if tom was of um the right you know able to think for himself then he would have been a responsible citizen and taken the vaccine to protect everyone else that is awful mm. yeah yeah um you see no, not only is it his heart he has a chromosome condition and these are um rna you know vaccines as we know and it's all about the genetics hmm. so um this uh yeah um we've lost that first court case i put in appeal myself and unfortunately I had to do that within a week because um my first barrister and solicitor actually held on for two weeks to before telling me uh, the results um I, I don't blame them but they turned around and just said i'm so sorry but we don't feel we can go any further with this um and we don't want to be taking your money unnecessarily you know um and i have so much respect although my first list did it um pro bono which is for free you know because yeah. she's so passionate about it um so i had i had five days to find uh well to put pull a, an appeal together with some help um from friends and uh we submitted that the judge immediately said no to the appeal within hours it was a a good appeal you know um and the next point under said it was going to stay with the courts and um they did stayed with the courts for about four weeks and eventually they turned around and said yes come in tomorrow to london to do your appeal <laughs> tomorrow i hadn't even got a case together because I, I, as far as i was concerned that you know the judge had said no yeah. Uh, so, you know, along the way, I've felt bullied, very, very bullied uh, by all the people that uh, I trusted in my life. Um, I'm not saying that they're, 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 they've been awful. Of course not. Um, you know, I've, I've praised them. He, again, you know, Tom wouldn't be here for, only for them you know, the, the specialist, the cardiologist, his heart surgeon, you know, um, and the care from them in the past, general care. But um, I just feel that, uh, I don't know, very disappointed. Um, so, Yes, um, we we did the appeal and uh, went into London. They gave me a week. So I found a new barrister, new solicitor, and they've been fighting my case since. We went uh, two nights to London. And, you know, I had 
tremendous support um, from a lady who saw something that I'd posted in response to something very different. And I just said, um, you know, my situation basically. And she approached me and she said, I've been through exactly the same thing. And if you need any support, please, you know, contact me. And for three or four weeks, I was in touch with her. And uh, what a lovely lady. Um, I can't obviously speak about her case, but um, her daughter is in residential care, but unfortunately uh, she did lose that case, yeah. And um, she offered to come to London with me and got on the train and spent two nights in a lovely Airbnb in Greenwich and uh, she supported me throughout yeah and and have you heard of many other of the same cases is there a bit of a network forming there isn't as such that I'm aware of but but I've set up a telegram group um and so there are six of us that are on this group at the moment including myself um there's uh, yeah a variety of people. There's another lady who's appealing, uh, gone through the first court case and she's represented herself and lost and now is appealing herself. Um, another uh, lady again represented herself. She actually won her case, but again, I can't go too far into these things, you know. No, but um, give you any kind of, if you can look at why she won and how she won does that help? yeah i think uh the cases that i've seen that have won there's been one other um it's more about the child resisting um and being able to turn around and resist the needle right so yeah what as um, that they that they don't want it yes that so that they, this, the court suggesting uh that um that's an indication that they don't want it that they push it away this is all based on i can't believe what this is based on on guessing what the what the person's opinion is going to be i don't yeah i can't wrap my head around why the decision wouldn't lie with you i suppose what once Uh, once yes someone becomes 18 does that yeah sorry nick i didn't answer your first question which was um who it is that's taking it through the courts. Um, so initially, you see, um, uh, Tom's father wanted him to have it. So I think that's initially where it came from. Um, and uh, But although he, he's never got involved, he will not discuss a single thing with me. Um, never has from day one. And it's his, his son, and he will not sit down with me and discuss anything. Um, he gets very angry and shouts and says he will, will have it. Um, he's not looked at any of the evidence. Um, I tried to send him, he said, I'm not looking at it. So he's, he's buried his head. Um, and at the same time, he's never been taken to the courts. He's, you know, he's, he's kept completely out of it. He's turned around and said he doesn't want anything to do with the court case. Mm. So it is the CCG, which is the Clinical Commissioning Group, that have taken this through the courts. 
Okay. Uh, these these are the people that you know the GPs uh, report to, of course, and you know, um, yeah. So this isn't um, a group that's, that's supported Tom in any way. It's not like it's the residential home that he lives in because he doesn't live in one. It's just the group that GPs report to. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Clinical commissioning group. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just the fact that this, yeah, I wanted to ascertain um, if you don't have the rights, then who does and who is mm. that? And if this is a group that uh, from, well, it doesn't look like they've been particularly involved in Tom's life or or anything. They, um, so the clinical commissioning group is... Uh, you know, they represent the government, I suppose. Um, and as far as they're concerned, they're doing what the government recommends, which is to recognise who they feel is vulnerable and uh, offer them the vaccines first. That was the, in for the first instance, wasn't it? They were vaccinating the vulnerable as they felt. Um, now, you know, there's nothing wrong with my son. Uh, he's on no medications. He's uh, as a well young man, as I said earlier, you know, and he has no issues with his heart anymore. Touch wood, you know. Um, well, also at this stage, we can just honestly say that 23 year old fit and healthy men are not at risk of COVID, of dying of COVID. It's not even according to any official narrative, that's not a concern. Absolutely. I mean, he's had it. <laughs> he's had it as well. We both have. And he's had, um, you know, a blood test to show that he has natural antibodies. Yeah, so what's the justification? Why would he need it? Absolutely. I mean, he handled it exactly the same way as I did. Oh, so I know. So I mean, they haven't given you a reason why he would why he would need this vaccination. Uh, they just keep saying they're following the government's guidelines, which says that he's he's on the vulnerable list because of his heart. Yeah, and that's that's it. You know. Um, yeah, I think this is because this horrible thing is going on at the moment. Where I saw this clip on GB News the other night, where Matt Letizier was on. And he's obviously asking questions in the world of sport because it is in the news all the time. And they're saying, oh, this is unexpected. What a shock. Another heart problem. And the host, Leo Curse, um, said that, well, new evidence is showing that um, it's actually COVID that is more dangerous for, for the heart um and Matt Letizier's face just kind of drops and goes are we really are we really doing this is this really where we are um so it looks like that's what's going on they're saying yeah there's a lot of men with heart conditions at the moment and looks like it's covid so uh, better get vaccinated yes yes yeah. but um, the evidence is suggests the other way doesn't it 
Yeah. Well, it does. And there's also, we're at this point where um, Dr. Asim Malhotra had written this peer-reviewed paper, and then Andrew Bridge and the MP has read it out in the House of Commons. Um, obviously, both are being gaslit and their professions are being threatened. And, and Bridgen, in fact, has been completely smeared in the media over other things. They're not talking about why he's being smeared. Um but it looks like progress. And and it, it, yeah, that's how I feel at the moment is we haven't seen anything like that for two or three years and now we are. So hopefully that's some kind of hope. And do you have any idea about the sort of time scale of these proceedings? Um, no, um, presently just waiting um, on appeal. So it's uh yeah just ongoing uh for how long i can keep going like this i have no idea and um, this might be a bit sort of invasive but do you know what would happen if you if you lost i don't understand how this would be enforced um well i remember well, the GP actually asked, well, suggested that they come to the home um, to vaccinate him. And his uh, solicitor, who they chose anyway, my son's solicitor was chosen, um, said he only had one question, and that's whether I would allow that. And I said, uh, no. I said, the home is where the heart is. It's a loving place with happy memories. I said, and if I believe that you're putting something into my son that, uh, you know, could cause harm, then no, no. Um, so they're suggesting I take him to a centre. Uh, they will arrange that. There's a care plan put in place. Um, and um, that's where it stands. And and then if I can't do it, then maybe a carer could just pop in with him and then bring him home, you know, like he's going in for a bag of sweets. <laughs> you see, because he hasn't got speech, he can't tell me what's wrong. He can't say, Mum, my heart's racing. Mum, my heart's missing a beat, you know. When he came out of the heart surgery, we were in Alderhay in Liverpool. Um, within that week, his, his, uh, the electrical circuit of his heart wasn't working correctly. And uh, I went back and uh, he nearly died because that connection wasn't right. Now, anything, anything that could risk that, again, you know, anything to do with his heart, I'm not... I will not risk it. No, um, imagine and, in, and your, in your situation. Stability and routine must be so, so important for you in your situation. And anything, even as you said, like the lockdown itself and having to go through the last two years must have been incredibly difficult anyway. So anything that threatens that stability and routine could actually be very, very dangerous no matter what it is. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, um, and, and, you know, I have, we have an organic lifestyle. I, I, I grow my own veg 
a, a bio-organic food or try and be as healthy as possible, you know, um, no sugars and preservatives and flavorings and all this contributes to the, the man that he is, the healthy man that he is, you know. Um, if you're putting something in someone's body, you can't take it out. And I, I, I know that because of the Botox experience, you know. Um, it's there and it's doing its job and you can't do anything about it. There are alternatives now. There, there, are, there are medications you can take for COVID-19 that are, are being offered. Um, and so if somebody or my son um, has a really bad experience with COVID, that these medications be, can be given in place of it. And, and if you get an adverse reaction, you can stop them. You're in control of it, aren't you? Well, and that would be my my best, you know, yeah. well, my son's best option, I believe. Overall, we were fighting as a country, people like me and the people that I know and I'm in contact with. Um, we know that or we believed that the goal was to mandate it nationwide or globally, right? For absolutely everybody, but it was always going to work in stages. And back uh, last January, this time last year, it was the NHS workers that were being threatened with mandates. The care workers had already ha had them um, and a lot of them lost their jobs. But I think that uh, there's now good legal cases about them getting compensated um, and it's being recognised as, um, as that it was completely wrong and it should never have happened. And we and we managed to beat the NHS one and that was a year ago. And we don't have any other workplace mandates for vaccination anymore. But this one's flown in under the radar, hasn't it? Yeah. They're doing this yeah. one sneakily so that people don't notice and that there's no fuss. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. It's, uh, you feel like you're living a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. And um, in terms of the GPs and all the health staff that have helped um, you and your son throughout your whole life, they, did they did they previously look on you as sort of a dotty, wacky, anti-science hippie <laughs> before any of this? Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not, you know. I've, um, they know how dedicated I am to him. You know, I've given up my life for my son since he was born. Well, um, since I was divorced, you know, 10 years ago, I've been his sole carer and um, he still sees his dad um, twice a month. He, he goes over for one night, you know, two nights a month. Um, but... <laughs> I live and breathe my son. I love him with all, in my, with all my heart, you know, and I'd do anything to protect him. Um, and that's what I believe I'm doing. Uh, and for, for, for the authorities to just come down on, on people like this, it's just awful. It's an emo such a horrible emotional roller coaster for the, for the, the start of it. You know, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. You feel bullied. You feel pressured because if you think about it, it's, you know, um, his dad, social services, the GPs and the government uh, that have all, I'm fighting, you know, 
Um, for some people might say, well, if that's the case, then surely you're in the wrong because you're the minority. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm the mother. I know his expressions. I lie with him. I know what he, his breathing, you know? I know when he looks in distress. Um, but I couldn't live with him, like uh, not knowing what's going on in his body, thinking that there could be harm being done, you know, and it, he couldn't tell me and that he could be suffering. Yeah. yeah of course. And yeah. this is why it's so shocking that the judge would claim to know more than you would about what his wishes are. Mm. Absolutely. Oh. But it's... Um, uh, uh, just lost respect, so much respect for these people. Um, they're just hiding behind government guidelines at yeah. the end of the day, you know. Um, and they're just leaving a complete trail of destruction behind them as far as all these families are concerned, you know, as if they've not gone through enough in their lives, finding out that they have a disabled or special needs child and, and having to go through the life with all the difficulties that you have with those children, you know? Um, and then this is put upon you. Hmm. So with the cases that have lost, what, what I'm thinking is that if, um, if the people involved get vaccinated and whether or not there's an adverse effect and anything goes wrong, there's still a legal case in the future because there's that is still a complete violation of human rights as far as I'm concerned. That that should never have happened, even if nothing were to go wrong. Um, do you have any thoughts yes. on that? On 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 you know somebody loses the case as you say they already have, but that's I, I don't see that as the end. Is that mm. is mm. that how they're thinking? Well, the other thing is uh, Nick. I know, um, like you say, if nothing goes wrong, but you, you know, uh, you can never prove, can you, if something happens to your your child, you could never prove it was to do with the vaccine because a lot of them have very complex issues going on anyway. And so, again, they would never, it would never be acknowledged, you know, see what I'm saying? But you're also saying about um, um, he has a very, I don't know, it's difficult to say his mental, uh, he, he watches a lot of baby programs, you know, um, but in other ways he sort of understands what's going on. He understands one, one instruction, like, you know, pick up your shoes and he, he will pick up his shoes. But if you say too much, he can't, he can't, you know, um, hear even the first instruction so he's still um, a child he will never be an adult in that respect although he's physically a man you know yeah um, and uh, I, th I think I think you're correct I think further down the line you know this uh, imposing upon families uh, imposing their wishes upon us is uh i don't know well yeah this but is let's just hope it's <laughs> yeah. 
as you say, you you spoke to your GP for an hour with all of the evidence. You've laid out very, very legitimate reasons why you would be concerned about this that are relevant to your specific example and your son's health conditions. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, I don't think any of that is relevant. I don't think any of it is relevant because I mean, I mean, it is for the case, but that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is who gets to make this decision. And I yeah. don't understand why it wouldn't be you because you're the one that birthed him and raised him and still lives with him and looks after yeah. him every day. Who is anyone else to step in and tell you what's best for him? No one could possibly know better. And that's why I believe that no matter what happens with the case in the here and now, that question needs to be looked at very, very long term. Why did, why did the government ever believe it had rights above um, parents? And I, I, I'm very interested in sort of uh, the syllabus in schools and whether parents have a say over stuff that they're not comfortable with. And yeah, this Gillick competence being used in yeah. schools and going, hang on a second, parents... It, no, nobody can own a child apart from the parents, really. Mm. Even the word own isn't really... I know. <laughs> I know, I know. But you know what I mean? And as you say, he's never going to be able to make his own decisions, is he? He's never going to be... No. He always needs somebody to do that with him. And up until COVID, I guess there was no sign that that, that person wasn't you. You'd, you've never had any kind of battle like this before. Never. No. Never. You see, I was just going to say that, you know, they trust you. They've trusted me all these years to bring him up. And then suddenly my my wishes are not not the right ones, not good enough. Yeah. And I believe as soon as they're 18, they, they feel that they can step in with anything, you know, with any decisions. That's that's the way it looks to me, you know. I mean yeah this case... I've never had any any other reasons to say oh no you know I've always believed that everything they've done has been in there you know right for my son and it has been everything they've perhaps suggested uh, but this has made me so cautious so cautious I just feel like the bulldozing everyone into just doing the one thing and that's it and that's just of the vaccination and well it doesn't no make question because there's there's going to be things in his life that are more of a risk than covid as you know because he's already had it and recovered um yes so so yeah why do you need to be bulldozed with this one thing when he has other conditions which um which are serious you know mm -hmm. not i'd say the main one have been two years of being cut off from any social services mm. I'd say that's probably done the most, um, that, that's the biggest issue that needs sorting. So this case was initially brought two years ago, is that right? Yes, the beginning of 21, yeah. And I just yeah. wonder whether I, it feels like they wouldn't bring this case now, but where we were in 2021, they were being so forceful and they were trying to get mandates through. Does it, is this basically almost like the tail end of that rather than something this is this feels like the delayed reaction to them being so forceful two years ago um 
I don't know. I think it's just because of the time that uh, I've always wanted time on my side as well, because I've, I've wanted the evidence to come out and speak for itself, you know. And when the Pfizer documents came out, I thought, oh, gosh, this mm. must, you know, this must uh, um, change their minds uh, or open their eyes. Um, but no one thing has done, ever has done, that's come out you know um i just i just believe that they're ignoring it all i yeah. do honestly they must be if they if they continue to say that everyone that goes through that court needs to be vaccinated um i don't know where i don't know what will happen but i do know that i'm very very worried for my son very yeah and you know, um, all these families, I, I just, I just think, shame on you, doctors, because they must be seeing what's happening now in their surgeries. They are, uh, but they're still they absolutely are. Like my, um, my ex works in a doctor's surgery. Um, she had two shots, and then, um, her she had menstrual issues basically and she okay. two and two together she talked to the other girls in her work and said has this happened to you and they all went oh yeah that did happen to me and she's like yeah should we talk about this um do you want to you know think about this before all your daughters go and get it as well um and now I'm talking to her she still works in the doctor's surgery and she's just like well I won't say too much of it on on YouTube yeah. but basically they know um mm. yeah there are different health concerns now to what there were a couple of years ago and there's only one thing that's changed so so i don't understand it either i don't understand how they can be ostriches um because the longer they leave it the worse it's going to get the more angry people are going to get the less trust we i mean my trust is completely destroyed in absolutely every institution it's like yeah. we need to start again right down to teachers who could sit through primary school teachers who could teach masks full of kids in in masks. oh yes masks yes masks. i don't i don't see how you could do that and so yeah. so it really has touched everything i've got no trust in any of it anymore no. i my son with having a heart condition obviously um when he was a baby he was blue around the mouth before he had his heart operation um which shows lack of oxygen, of course. Um, and he couldn't wear a mask. And the the abuse that was thrown out, you know, uh, I was disgusted with the general public. But this is all because of fear, isn't it? People act differently. Did you get abuse in the street? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mask, really? Yeah. Because, yes. Yeah. We, we were in a shop and it was a sort of a narrow little aisle and there was a couple with masks on, oh, middle-aged. And my son went past them and he walks quickly when he sees something he can see on the shelf. And he must have just touched them as he went past. Oh my goodness. They were, they were having a go at me saying that I was irresponsible, that I should control my son. And I said, he's, he's special needs. 
she said, we should, we should control him, control him, you know? And I said, no, I said, he's, he's shopping like everybody else. I said, what's the problem? Oh, well, he needs to keep a distance. I said, you are wearing masks. You are wearing masks, you're safe. My son can't, you know? Um, it's, oh, many times, many, many times I was challenged. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's this, he can't, that's actually different to he won't. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And these yeah. were, yeah, I, I mean, this whole, throughout all the last three years, you know, I, I would hear people occasionally say, oh, lockdown wasn't that bad. I actually had a good time. And I just think, where is your empathy? Because like, yeah, maybe my lockdown wasn't particularly awful as well, but I spent the whole, I mean, it was actually, it did send me crazy. But the whole time I was really thinking about the impact on small businesses. Yes. I remember when the masks came in, there was a lot of talk actually about um, sexual assault survivors. Um, anyone who's been through that, that's uh, it, it's like an allergy to wearing something on the face. It's so traumatic to be asked to do that. Um, but there's so many examples of this. Yes. Yeah. And, and fundamentally, it all comes down to I get to choose. I get to choose what's right for mm. me. The government doesn't make my decisions for me, especially since everybody says, well, the government just lies. I'm uh, like the mainstream, <laughs> the mainstream narrative throughout all of this was Boris Johnson's a liar. Like I so therefore I support the Labour Party and stuff like this. I'm like, do you care about what the lies actually are? You're just like, yeah. oh, he's a lie. You can't trust any of them. I know. So why are you doing everything they say? Yes. Why is yes. it now become heresy to question the government? We have to. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all on fear, definitely, definitely. Because I remember the moment that I thought, I can't do this. I was actually bringing uh my neighbours had to do bits of shopping and, and you know you can't ask neighbours because they were walking around the corner to be carrying bags and bags to do a big shop. So I was just getting the basics at the time, the milk, the bread, um, because they were doing the shopping for me. And I used to take it out. It was in the summer, wasn't it? And disinfect everything and put it in my fridge. And one day I sat there and I thought, I can't live like this. I can't live in fear. I remember looking up to the sky and thinking, you know, and I stopped. And I think that was my moment that I thought, I can't live like this. Um, and the people that are still continuing to live like that with the masks, I just think it's quite sad. And it's very damaging, isn't it? That they're still in that, uh, yeah, frame of mind, basically. Yeah, I think the um, scale- We've lost the freedoms. I think the scale of the lie is really, really, really hard to face, basically, because it, it's so huge. It is the entire world saying one thing when your heart or your gut says another. Um, mm -hmm. And you have to go through this process of feeling brave enough to go, no, this is what I believe. These are my convictions. Um, and I honestly believe that maybe some people will never go through that. Maybe a certain percentage of people will just trust the system forever. But gradually, everyone goes through that thing. Um, and I can even I can see it happening now with people who two, three years of, of thinking that I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist, they're seeing something wrong, because it's impossible yeah. not to you, you, yeah. you just look around, 
Mm. Absolutely. Yes. Well, um, you've you've given us a, a fantastic summary of what's been going <laughs> on, um, and I think oh. I think this is going to shock a lot of people, and and it is a shame that um, that there's no easy way to spy, to shine the spotlight on this because it's happening to people sort of on an individual basis so we can't mm. stand up and and say no to this but it's really really shocking um and i'd be very very happy to talk to you again and anyone else who's in the same situation or or anyone who's battling this legally because i think yes. it's it's crucial and they're going to try and bury it so thank you very much for talking to me today oh you're welcome nick and uh yeah, I just, as you say, I just wanted to get my story out there and make it, you know, make people aware, like you say, is what's going on and that it's not just me. There are many, many families um, and they're, they're destroying them, basically, these people. Yeah, it's a very upsetting thing to have. I call it forced vaccination, forcing something into somebody's body. It's, uh, well, we remember what happened, don't we, a long time ago with experimental treatments, and that's how I see it now as well. Thank you, Nick, for listening to me and everyone that's listened to this interview. Thank you.